0: Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast, a big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey, everyone. Look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia NetGator, and a set of AcePods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth Airbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Well, welcome to this week's episode. I'm here with Amy Hopman and Jim Shaw, Land Information Services. Thanks for coming on to the show. How are you guys doing today? Very good. Very good. Yeah. Thank good. you for having us. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. And it's, it's unfortunate we can't do this in person. But I've actually when I first started the podcast, I only did locally because there were so. I mean, obviously, Houston's huge. And so i would be like, No, unless you're in Houston, you know, we'll just have to wait till you travel. But and you know, it's funny, because a lot of people travel through Houston. So it'd be neat to wait until we did that. But due to circumstances, obviously, travels a little limited. Where are you guys joining me from today? And Amy, go ahead. I'll start with you.
1: We're in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And we actually, pre-COVID, we're traveling to Houston about once a week. Right. I can
0: imagine. And Jim, you're in Oklahoma City as well?
2: Yeah, we're we're both in the office right now. We've got maybe a very small percentage, about 20% probably of, of the folks in our business that are in the office. Everybody else is remote, but Amy and myself and a few others have been in the office every day.
0: The ones who are truly committed. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm sure everybody is. Yeah. Oklahoma City, you know, Oklahoma City has come a long way. So uh, one of my customers was based in Houston, but drilled in Oklahoma and Kingfisher County, which I'm sure you're totally familiar with. And so in 2013, I traveled to Oklahoma City, yeah, probably once a month for a long time and then probably once every few months. So I would say Oklahoma City was my second home for a while. You know, I got to know the people. I always stayed in Edmond because we have an office in Edmond at the four points there. And so I got to know the receptionist and it, you know, it was like a little <laughs> family because mm-hmm. we had drilled there for years, shoot, probably from, yeah, I don't know. It had to have been at least five years. And, and then obviously, you know, things turned for the worst and a lot of companies went under, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. Oklahoma city is cool. And from the time I started going there to the time, I think the last time I was there was maybe a year and a half ago. I mean, your downtown area has grown into such a neat spot and the restaurants.
1: Are like, amazing. Yeah, <laughs>
0: And so whenever I go there, I always stay at the Museum Hotel, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I love that place.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Marietti's.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's great. And then there's a Peruvian restaurant that one of my friends brought me to. I'd never eaten Peruvian, but it literally was like, I would have never in my wildest dreams thought that Oklahoma City would have such an, it was very eclectic and had all these like Buddha style, like art. And it was just like very funky and like like, very Austin stylish. And I loved it. So...
1: We have a lot of really independent, really creative restaurants here that have popped up over the last couple of years. So it's been really fun. And I like it when people who haven't been here for years and just to give them restaurant recommendations and things, it's, it's pretty neat little town.
0: Yeah. No kidding. It's come a long ways. And then you guys also got put on the map over the last couple of years from Tiger King. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to, I always, Always I always ask, (laughs) I always ask, and Jim, I'll ask you, have you been to the zoo? I have not, and, and to be
2: honest, I, I didn't follow the series that closely either, so.
0: Oh, isn't that your, like, claim to fame? Other than oh, maybe, like, other than maybe, maybe Oklahoma City Thunder. Right, yeah, that's that's about it. That's all we've got. <laughs> you, have, you have the NBA and you have Tiger King. and
1: the timing of that the timing of that series coming out during quarantine oh my goodness (laughs) I mean we binge watched it
0: (laughs) yeah I know so the first episode and I think it's like most but the first episode my wife and I were like it was just so off the wall that we were we're like this is not us like we're not and then my brother-in-law was like you guys I know it's crazy it's silly (laughs) and it's you know out of this world but just give it a few episodes and then once we started like kind of understanding like the ins and outs and like the whole like the complexity of what was going on, it was like okay, now I'm sucked into this world of nonsense.
1: And I was so shocked because I had no idea; I knew nothing about it.
0: Really? So that's it's funny because some people are like yeah, I, I've heard like pre like asking people that like I have a lot of contacts in Oklahoma. I'm like, did you know about this? And they kind of gave the same response. Was like, well, I knew there was a zoo, an exotic zoo, mm-hmm. which there's quite a few in the U.S. But I didn't realize like all that was going on. And again, you give it up to Netflix for creating like a, a story and this like, you know, elaborate, whatever you want to call it. Anytime I interview someone from Oklahoma, I always ask because it's just the funniest conversation. Anyway, so moving ahead, I know the audience, I'm sure you're wondering what we're getting at here. But first, I want to give a shout out to Barrett. Is his last name Bump- Bumpus or Bumpus? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he reached out, and he's the one who set this up, and he was quite relentless. And so I, I got to give it up to the fella. <laughs> he definitely put in the work and made this happen. So shout out to Barrett. He's uh, he works for you guys, right? Yeah,
2: he does. He does. He teams up with our business development director and kind of helps mm-hmm. him with marketing, social media, you know, creative outlets and things like that.
0: So. Yeah, well, you got to give him a fist bump for me because he he, ro- he rocked it for sure. He's very like. Just Johnny on the spot and constantly emailing. So he was good. He was good. He's he's a little hustler, that guy. I like that. All right. Yeah. Before we get going, I just want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. So Technip FMC's Fracknow ecosystem leverages flexible pipe, automation, advanced digital technology to deliver greater operational efficiency, and increased uptime, lower non-productive time, remote operations, access to automation, and real-time data logging are just a few of the benefits. If you want to find out more, click the link in the show notes, or hit me up on LinkedIn, and I'll point you in the right direction. So Amy, I'll start with you, and I just want to kind of get to know a little bit more about you. This is the first time we've met. You're in Oklahoma City right now. Are you from Oklahoma City?
1: I am. Yeah, really? born and raised. Yeah.
0: What? You love yeah. it there, hey?
1: I do. I do love it. We i spent a lot of time in Midland, Denver, Houston, Dallas, traveling for work pre-COVID. But but I do love Oklahoma City.
0: Okay, and so are your parents from there? I mean, are you like third generation? Really?
1: Oh yeah, all of us are here. Yeah, and all of us in the oil field too.
0: No way, that, that's <laughs> pretty cool. So if you had any other place to live, I mean, would it? Would you choose one, or are you are you where you love to be?
1: I am where I love to be. My husband would love for us to be in Denver. But... Yeah.
0: <laughs> Denver's nice. I yeah. lived there in 2013 and it's kind of a, a sister city to Calgary because I'm from yeah. Calgary originally, but so you, you wouldn't go to Denver?
1: I would, I would, but I would miss Oklahoma for sure.
0: Yeah. Hey, I get it. If your family's there and that's where, the, where that's where the heart is, I can't blame you. So Jim, what about you? Where are you from?
2: Yeah. From from Oklahoma City, went to university at Oklahoma State in Stillwater and then moved back. And My wife and I met at Stillwater. So Okay. I've been in Oklahoma City ever since. I actually live in, in the Edmond area. So you mentioned you, you stayed in, in the Edmond area whenever you traveled up here. So Yes. Yeah. That's where we live today. But.
0: That's home. Well, the next time I'm up there, I'm sending you guys a note. It would be cool to meet in person. I always like to meet the, the people I have on. And so Zoom's cool, but in person is much better. Yeah. Yep.
1: We'd love to have you to the office. It's We just built it a, about a year ago.
0: I would love to. I find like the people who like companies that are in technology and, and tech and you know in that world usually have really neat offices i don't know what it is but i would love to visit and so next time i'm up there i'll definitely give you guys a shout and so jim i noticed you have a football a mini football helmet in the top right hand corner of the screen Are <laughs> you're a big football fan or what
2: yeah i mean i obviously oklahoma state fan going to school up there but i played football in high school and so yeah i mean i guess i i lean towards football and hockey mostly in terms of of sports
0: Okay, well, I'd love to hear both of those. I grew up, so interestingly enough, fun fact about me, you know, obviously growing up in Canada, I actually didn't play competitive hockey. I grew up in, in British Columbia. My mom and I moved out there when I was five, but I grew up playing football. And so I have, you know, I have a huge love for football. Hockey's in my blood. I mean, friends, family, everyone loves it. So it's hard not to be a hockey fan, but how in Oklahoma City did you end up playing hockey? Because that's, <laughs> that's kind of unusual, right? Like you guys don't have a huge
2: hockey culture, do you? We don't you know we had some some kind of minor league you know semi pro teams that that were in Oklahoma City for a number of years, but when I was probably seven or eight years old, I was at a sporting goods store with my dad and I saw an ice hockey skate, and I had no idea what it was, and he was like well let's let's go you know to the local rink you know and go do a public skate and and I was hooked ever since that and so there was there was actually a really good competitive travel team that that I was able to you know compete for and, and get on and, and played for about six or seven years, but our actual league play was between Oklahoma and Texas and, and primarily. But you know, we traveled all over the country for tournaments and whatnot, so yeah, it is very surprising. Most people, when I say that I, I grew up in Oklahoma City and played hockey, they don't believe me at all, but yeah, but yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was fun, very cool. What position did you play? Wing, right wing.
0: Okay, okay. And so growing up in Oklahoma City, were you a Dallas Stars fan then or
2: I was, but I was probably more so a Detroit Red Wings and Boston Bruins fan. Okay. I went to go see the Stars a couple of times just to see the Wings and the and the Bruins when they were in town, but no kidding. Yeah.
0: That's really cool. And so I would encourage you whenever things get back to whatever normal is going to look like. So we do, and I mentioned it at the end of the podcast, but I'll mention it now. So we do every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink here in Houston. We do what's called hack and whack, and it's just a bunch of old timer hockey, basically a beer league. And so we all get together. It's all oil field. We have actually a mix of ladies and guys, and so it's neat. We normally have, you know play five on five. Just we always have two goalies, and so if you, if you're ever Ambitious enough to haul all your gear, or I don't know if you still play or not, but you're always welcome to the to the hack and whack. So keep that in mind if you ever feel like getting on the ice again. You're always
2: welcome. <laughs> Gosh, that w- that would be fun. It's been it's been a number of years since I've even ref. I used to referee a little bit as well, but oh, good for you. Um, let alone play, but yeah,
0: <laughs> nice. Well, Amy, let's discuss a little bit about yourself. So, I mean, growing up in Oklahoma City, total oilfield family. Did you grow up playing hockey? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay, i would have guessed not but i don't want to make assumptions no
1: no 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 definitely not athletic
0: <laughs> okay so what, i mean what was life like for amy growing up what were you into
1: i was probably just a nerdy girl i read a lot mm. that's okay yeah
0: you know what growing Nothing up super when exciting. I, yeah when i was growing up nerds were not cool but i feel like now it, the tables turned like nerds are cool we totally embraced it yeah, and good for you. And so, okay, so like growing up in high school, like you were just studious, and you, were you always interested? Because now you're in the tech world, right? Would would you consider no. land information? Okay, so you
1: weren't. No, and it's funny because I'm more of the business side. So I, we we've all come from the business side. We were never going to be a technology company. Ah, we okay. suddenly decided we were. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we we sense. actually built the software just for ourselves. So. Um. I've been very active in kind of the local associations for lease and title analysts and, you know, a lot of education and training and different things like that. So it's been really interesting to kind of come full circle with, you know, with our company and, you know, handling a lot of the processes. But getting to dive into the technology side has been really fun. I've worked a lot with our developers and it's been really interesting. So embracing my nerdiness.
0: And Hey, and so you should, and I think for anyone out there, embrace your strengths and what you're interested in. And and I think it's interesting because COVID, I like to call it Corona economy has allowed people (laughs) to really kind of look within and what they value and what they're interested in. I mean, and so it sounds like, I don't know if that, you know, whether that helped you guys or not but it's it's interesting you say that you kind of you know embrace the nerdiness and right now people should embrace whatever they're into because i mean you just never know what things are going to look like in five years from now but so i'm interested in you know amy in yourself you know so you said you're a little bit of nerd growing up your family's oil field, were you always interested in getting into the oil field or, or tell, tell us a little bit about how you got into the industry?
1: No, it's really interesting. So my mom worked at a really small independent oil and gas company here in Oklahoma City. And so I kind of started there and I was just really curious. I've always been very curious. And so I would kind of like just the geologist kind of embraced me, the landmen, the marketing teams. And so they just kind of let me be curious. I mean, I would go into the geologist and, you know, look at their their logs and their rocks and they would just they really just embraced that side of me. And so I was also kind of grew up there and I became a lease entitled analyst there. And I was, which is kind of rare these days, I was kind of what we call cradle to grave. And so I was able to learn, you know, all sides of the business. And so and then I left there and went to Chesapeake and I realized how siloed things were there. Like our our side of the land administration, you know, they did one thing. And so I started kind of doing some training programs and, you know, trying to expose people to other things. And so that's one of the things I'm really passionate about here is we don't silo any of our employees. So they work in all basins. They do cradle to grave. They venture into, we're doing a lot of cross training between division orders and lease records. And so, and even data we've, you know, I've reached out to some of our business team, you know, what are you interested in? You know, what are you passionate about? What can we learn more about? So like uh, education is a big thing for us here.
0: Yeah, no, and, and I'm certainly interested to dive more into it, but I wanna give Jim the opportunity, you know, obviously being growing up in Oklahoma City, I would imagine most people growing up there are exposed to energy oil and gas specifically, maybe wind, but how did you get into oil and gas,
2: Jim? So I have an uncle that worked for Chesapeake many, many years ago. And we happened to have a family dinner when I was in college, it was the spring semester of my, my freshman year of, of college. And he asked me what I was going to be doing for work that summer. And I had no idea, you know, I did various retail. I worked at the the local ice rink, you know, during high school and whatnot. So he lined me up with an interview at Chesapeake for an internship. And the rest is kind of history. I had no idea really, honestly, up until that point, anything about energy, none of my immediate family members besides him were in oil and gas. And so I interned at Chesapeake all through college and hired on there immediately after, after graduation. And Just really, really loved what I was doing during my internships and whatnot. So it really wasn't even a, a question for me of what, what I wanted to pursue after I graduated. Sure.
0: Well, so the, the little bit of a, the common denominator here I'm seeing is Chesapeake. So is that where
2: you guys, did you guys work together at some point? I don't, we, we were there for a very brief amount of time mm-hmm. at the same time, but didn't really work our groups didn't work very closely to, to one another. But Okay. Wade Brawley, that that it, he's the CEO and founder of our business of LIS was the VP of land administration at Chesapeake. And so for a long time, and that was my first interview for my internship and was with him. And so there's a number of people here that used to work at Chesapeake, but obviously some diversity with other EMP groups here locally and, and around. But but yeah, I don't think Amy and I worked, our groups didn't work very closely with one another.
0: <laughs> I gotcha. You. So you, I think Jim, you've probably been there looking at your LinkedIn. It's about eight years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, eight years ago, let's go 2020. So 2012, that was a, like the start of the shale revolution, relatively speaking. And so I'm interested because at that time, obviously Chesapeake was rocking and rolling. You know, you had your Marcellus acreage, which was huge, you know, all in on gas and fracking. What made you jump to land information services? I mean, because to me, it would be like, well, you've got the momentum. You're, you know, relatively young and on the path to success, regardless. What made you make the jump?
2: So I had worked myself into a supervisory role at, at Chesapeake and kind of, it was more of a special project. So it was in land administration, but it wasn't your typical lease records, division orders or under relations type work. And I was doing a lot of transaction support. So any any time we were divesting or leveraging assets, I was doing a lot of the support work between land administration and the other departments. And I'd been doing that for a number of years and I was I was hungry for kind of something different. I had actually gotten recruited by a company in Houston and very seriously considered, went through a couple of different interviews and went house shopping a couple of times and was really close to accepting that offer. And so Ended up turning that down, but it really kind of opened my eyes to you know all I had known was Chesapeake, you know, for so long, for almost ten years, and so there is life outside of this you know monster campus, you know, in the heart of Oklahoma City, and yeah, you know, so it, it really kind of you know spurred me to to consider is this really what I want to do because I didn't see a a whole lot of advancement at that time with where I was at at Chesapeake, and during that year, Chesapeake was selling an asset. And Wade Brawley had had been gone for about three years, and he was had his own consulting practice, which is now LIS. And he was consulting for a buyer that was purchasing some assets from Chesapeake. So I actually ended up interfacing with him through that transaction and kind of reconnected with him, and and was curious on what he was doing, which started the conversation and and eventually led to me, you know, choosing to leave and and join up with him, and and here we are today. But.
0: Good, gotcha. No, and, and I can see that. I mean. A lot of folks that have spent, you know, I work with a lot of guys and girls that have been, whether it's BP, Conoco, a lot of the majors, and yeah, you kind of reach a point where it's like, what's life like outside of this, (laughs) you know, bubble? And so I can, I can identify, I mean, or at least I can, I can understand just through my experience talking with other folks. And I mean, you've been there for, you know, it's about eight years. So obviously things have been going well. And so Amy, I'm curious about you. You, you've been there for about six, according to LinkedIn. So again, I mean, kind of at the heart of the shale revolution, you decide to, Hey, I'm done with this and onto the next adventure. So, so what made, uh, made you make the jump?
1: It was a lot of kind of that time period at Chesapeake where we had some big layoffs and that was kind of hard on me. There was a lot of corporate change. It was kind of after Aubrey left and that big corporate feel just didn't feel like home anymore. You know, I was used to kind of the small independent company where I started and it was really interesting time. My husband left his big company and I left my big company and he started his own business and Wade took me in and you know kind of that entrepreneurial feel of LIS really felt like home. Cool. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a a neat time and Yeah. a growing business and, you know, working with Jim and Wade and everyone here has just been really exciting. I mean, we're we're having fun.
0: Yeah. Well, it's one thing, you know, going from a large company to a smaller one it's it's such a cultural shift and it's the excitement and the growth potential right i mean for someone who i would assume both of you are, are you know not a i'm just going to sit in front of my computer from nine to five and do the same thing <laughs> day in and day out like you probably like creative control you like to create value you like to just create deliver you know see the return on effort and so it sounds like there's opportunity because uh, you you wouldn't be you know there for five eight you know ten plus years so that's a testament to the company and, and so my hat off to LIS for sure and so let's get into to LIS and talk a little bit about what you guys offer to the industry and I'll let either one of you kind of describe like like the typical scope of work for land information services and because one thing you have to keep in mind is my audience comes from all walks of the oil field so some people may have never touched land they don't even make when they say land all they know is yeah, there's a rig that goes on this piece of land that drills for oil and gas. So like, you know, if you could just explain high level, like what it is you offer, and then we can dive into Land Vantage, which is kind of your staple product, we can kind of go from there.
2: So you're right. I mean, we we do cater pretty much 100% to the land department and really specifically to the back office, which is your land administration. It's lease records, division orders, owner relations. The company originally started again with Wade primarily doing consulting, which kind of, developed into an outsourcing business as well you know he was trying to advise various companies on you know areas of weakness and process improvements and opportunities that, that they should explore which then resulted in the outsourcing service and then resulted in us developing land vantage to initially just support the outsourcing service and then a few years went by and we started to get some feedback from companies that you know hey it looks like you're using a system can we see it it started growing in, in popularity and we then eventually shifted really kind of our, our identity as a business to being a software company that has consulting services and outsourcing, you know, supporting it and, and bolting on. So, but yeah, I mean, any, anything within the land space. So you could have guys out in the field that are negotiating a new lease or mineral deed all the way through to, you know, if you've got a well that's gone down and you need to have land and operations and lease records collaborating on, you know, what do we do to make sure that we don't lose the lease? or, you know, fails, you know, on some type of obligation, you know, we handle everything in between. So it's really the maintenance side and the administration of the leases and contracts that are surrounding, you know, the the leasehold there and the the physical land that the wells are going on.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So I guess, and and again, I'm ignorant to land. I mean, I'm a drilling operations guy, so this is new to me, but so what did it look like or what does it typically look like for that type of work versus what you guys do? And why is what you're doing adding so much value to your customers or clients that you have?
1: One of our big value adds is our process and procedures. So we are all from the business. We are not software developers. We do we, all of our software development in-house. We have an entire team downstairs that, of developers and data hygienists. And so we can take people's data and put it into LandVantage and provide them with the workflows to do their work smarter and faster. So I think that's one of our big value adds and we have the history and the the knowledge to be able to support them. A lot of startups and come to us, you know, it may just be a business development guy, you know, finance and business development who started this company and they don't know how to handle, you know, their back office. So they come to us and we can support them. We can help them build their business and then kind of back off and they can still use our software and, You know, run their business more efficiently.
0: Gotcha. So is this, is, is what you guys offer something that like major, like all operators can use or is it, or, cause I know some companies are more catered to, to the smaller markets to where a lot of companies have to outsource what they do. Whereas a lot of majors, they try and do everything internally, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. But I mean, are you guys sort of in all the market or is there more of a, a, like a specific target that you have or?
2: I mean, certainly on the, on the larger scale, you know, those companies, if they're interested in us, the biggest value prop for us is the technology, it's the software, you know, the full outsourcing model in that scenario may not be cost effective for them in the long run. But if there's any kind of short term project work, or they do, you know, have to go through some type of you know, lay off a reduction in force, and they need kind of a, a stopgap solution to get them through the next 90 to 180 days to make sure that the the overall administration and maintenance of their records is is being kept up to current, then we kind of jump in and help, you know, some larger organizations through that. But yeah, the the smaller to mid-sized businesses is really where the services are are very attractive and very, you know, pliable to them. So, but the technology caters up and down for sure. Yeah.
0: Right. So, would you say so? We mentioned Land Vantage, which is kind of your staple product. Is that because, like, looking at the website, it's you've got services which include lease contract well records, division orders, owner relations, training, business processes, redesign. So, is that all under the Land Vantage umbrella, or like, how does that all tie together?
2: LIS is really the umbrella, the services sit underneath that, and then Land Vantage really sits underneath LIS as well.
0: Ah, okay. And so, And you may have already described it, but like I said, I'm learning, I'm trying to understand. So LandVantage, so what does LandVantage do? Or was that what you were just explaining?
2: Well, I I think I was kind of more explaining the service side a little bit, but LandVantage itself is really, it's an enterprise land and workflow application, land records and workflow applications. So it's, Ah, it's your repository for all of your leases, your contracts, your wells, but it goes beyond just kind of a data management and document management system. And we've got end-to-end process and workflows built in the system. So from land standpoint, historically, especially for us at Chesapeake and probably most other larger companies, you've got your land system, you've got another system for routing AFEs, you've got another system for processing payments, you've got another system for HUD evaluations, another system to manage your owner relations or contact center. So you may be in 10 to 12 different applications on a daily basis, and that was a pain point for us towards the end of our tenure at Chesapeake. So a big motivation for us was how can we fit land and land administration into one system? You know, every single day, this is the single system that they log in and they can conduct 100% of their work in that one system. And that's that's what we've done with, with land bandage. So does that ultimately allow you to do more with less? Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> it, it always seems so cliche to say that, but but yes, it it absolutely does. Right.
0: In times like we're faced with right now, that's more important than ever. And and while it's always important with commodity prices suppressed, demand suppressed, everyone's looking for ways to improve productivity, increase efficiency, save money. And so it's neat to see, which it's interesting because you guys kind of started before this, I would almost say trend or demand rather. How has it been for, you know, the first down, I say because you guys have been around for this long, the first kind of downturn you probably saw was the 14 or were you guys around in 2008 and nine? No, it would probably have been two So yeah. So what are some of the challenges that you faced during the downturns? And has that really helped you guys almost catapult yourselves forward? Or would you say, was it a challenge or or speak on that? Because I think a lot of the companies that have evolved during the downturns have been struggled because it's you know it's a downturn and so like what does that look like for you guys and what were some of the biggest challenges you know even through the most recent one that we're that we're currently still faced with
2: so in in 2014 i think that's when you came on right amy was -hmm. in 2014 we were actually struggling to keep up with demand and was a big reason why we were thankful that amy was ready to to jump and and join with us because during that downturn we experienced a pretty significant growth where people were trying to retire old clunky technology with something a little newer and, and easier to use, or again, they were maybe going through some type of reduction in force and they needed some, some, you know, staffing, you know, to come in and, and try to help bridge the gap. And then, you know, some of the PE world started spinning up on, you know, within that timeframe as well. And so the PE model, you know, we cater to very well with the kind of package software and service. So we grew quite a bit during 14 and 15, and then, you know, fairly steady growth over the last few years. But, you know, this year, it's been just kind of a level playing field for everybody, you know, between COVID and and everything else. So yeah, there's been a few setbacks. And I think if somebody says that they haven't experienced any setback this year, they'd be lying. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, so we've we've still been on an upward trend, maybe just not yeah. as steep of a of an upward trend like like we were expecting. But yeah,
0: no, and and I mean, it's natural, right? I mean, there's so much going on right now with, I mean, it, it's hard to set the benchmark and be like, well, because we've never seen what we're experiencing before, and so to say, well, we're above what we expected, or we're below where we expected, we're kind of setting the bar for the next demand destruction, you know, global impact pandemic. Like it's kind of hard to to say, but, you know, I talking to some folks, including the company that I work for in, in a weird way, the first, like the 2014, 16 downturn really set us up to be stronger through this one. Like, I think if things would have been good up until now, I don't know what the, this industry would look like because the first one kind of filtered and cut the fluff and really increased efficiencies to be able to operate at lower commodity prices. And then now we're faced with it again for longer. And so like, you know, we, we ended up through the first one, picking up market share, getting better, doing more with less. And now we're just kind of going through it again a little bit more intensely, but almost set up for it. Like, and, and kind of know, okay, here we go again. Like we know we just faced this, like let's hunker down and do it again and so it sounds like you guys were able to position yourselves well coming out of the first one to hopefully weather this storm and come out the other side because a lot of people are not (laughs) which to some it's a benefit to some it's not but it's good to see that you guys are like you said you're, you're still moving forward still you know you have a lot of traction obviously I saw on LinkedIn, actually, you guys were even looking for folks not too long ago. And so are you still in growth mode or are you, are you kind of now at a point where you're good and you're just going to maintain or what does that look like?
1: I think for the outsourcing, um, we have slowed down a little bit there. We, we have been able to kind of maintain all of our staff. So we've been very blessed there. But we have we're still moving forward very aggressively with the software development. So we just had a, a new release just recently, but we still have a lot of parking lot items for development. So we are probably picking up more on Jim's side where we're looking for more of the tech
0: group. Gotcha. Yeah. So what would you say? I mean, obviously, oil prices are challenging activities down, but what is the biggest limiter right now for you? Is it, is it, is it manpower or is it just opportunity or, or where do you see kind of the
2: hurdle right now? I think a, a big hurdle is just everybody being so hesitant to invest in a change, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know what the next three to six to 12 months looks like. And so even though we can come to the table with you know the value prop and explain, hey, even though you're going to invest you know, so much in the software, you're going to get that return within X months because this is what you're going to save and this is the value you're going to get. It's still a tough sell, but we're still coming across folks that are you know, both optimistic and, you know, see, see kind of through the fine print on exactly what we're bringing to the table and they see that it does create immediate value. So, you know, we're still able to capitalize on those opportunities. But
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And so, I mean, is this, are you guys in a pretty competitive market or do you have kind of a a very unique offering? Go ahead. I (laughs) I was
1: going to say both. (laughs) I think we do have a unique offering because our services and our software support each other. But then we also are in a competitive market. I mean, there's several, there's a a couple really large software companies out there that are kind of that brand name that everybody knows about that we're, we're kind of in competition with, but there's, I think we do have that unique offering because of services and software and our um, backgrounds to offer
0: the support. And I often find too, it's a lot about the people, right? And so it's one thing to have the tools in the shed, but if you, unless you've got the right team, the right culture, the right services, that's what brings it all together to, you know, quote unquote, disrupt the industry because you're always going to have the main, you know, the big companies and, but it's, it's neat to see so many smaller, relatively smaller companies taking so much talent from different areas, bringing them together and exploding you know, we see all over the place. And so it's, it's really neat to see. And so I guess one thing I'm curious about is like, for you guys, what does the future look like? And and what, you know, what does land information services look like in five years, which obviously not very many people know what 12 months looks like, but do you guys have kind of an end vision in mind on on what this is going to ultimately look like?
2: I mean, you know, we, we still are, are very committed to and and pushing land as the primary offering and, I firmly believe that's always going to continue to result in outsourcing, you know, the the growth of the outsourcing business through that. But, you know, the biggest thing that we keep talking about is how how are land and land administration departments going to function in the next two to three to five years? And how can you how can you practically say, okay, I've got a department of 10 today, but I need a department of three? Right. But how can I maintain the same level of work with only three people and you know, you always have to have the people there, but it's the process and the technology that that really should allow you to go from 10 to three. And it, it's, you know, sad to say that those seven positions won't be there anymore, but it should mean that the, the people that are there are much more diversified. They do have kind of the cradle to grave or even cross departmental training where they can satisfy multiple roles, which is what we're doing internally, you know, so. That's cool. I no, I,
0: and I can appreciate that answer. And, and like you said, it's always like, oh, you know, if we can take seven to three and it's like, well, you know, what about that net that's sitting around hoping to get a job? Well, there's the thing that I think people, and I think a lot of people do understand it, a lot of people don't, is just that because you're taking jobs away in certain capacities is actually creating other jobs in other capacities. Like 10 years ago, would an oil and gas company hire a data scientist? Like it would have been kind of like, huh, what? You know, and now, everyone's trying to hire data scientists. I mean, we were an Excel based company and not OGGN, but the company I worked for, for years. And now we have like three or four data scientists in positions that I'm not even familiar with. And I've been with the company for oh, 10 years. And so it's, 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 jobs are being created, jobs are being lost, but adapting, getting your you know, set. I have a buddy, actually Brian Spencer, who worked for Slumberj for a long time and he due to the circumstances got laid off but then he took it upon himself to really like get some you know take courses and, and learn the data science world and you know so it's people like that like just because you you know you're you're used to you know selling drill bits or you know business development for some pipe company i mean constantly learning and, and seeing you know, especially with all the free resources we have online i have a buddy in denver Matthew Bauer, who teaches Python for geologists, like, and it's a free course. And so, yeah, right. And so it's like, you got to constantly be learning, adapting to the industry because, you know, as one door closes for some, you know, for some job position, another one is opening as we continue to evolve as an industry. And, you know, like you said, did you, I thought you said dental hygienist for a sec, but I think you said data hygienist.
2: What what the heck is that? I've never (laughs) heard of that. So it's, it's somebody that's responsible for, you know, a lot of the times our customers are, you know, acquiring assets. And so they're taking data from one system and then we're putting it into land bandage. And so through that, through that transition, the hygienist is cleaning the data and making sure that it's structured appropriately, but yeah, yeah, it's, we're trying to, it's, it's, I don't think an uncommon term in the technology world, maybe, you know, maybe outside oil and gas, it's more common, but so we're, we try to be a, a little creative with some of the roles here.
0: But. Good for you, right? Like you're creating jobs. Like that's <laughs> yeah. like, I literally, yeah. when I thought, when you said dental, I was like, clearly that's not, but it sounded like it and I was like <laughs> data hygienist. And in my mind, I'm like someone who cleans data and like makes it look good, whatever. Like, you know, like it was kind of self-explanatory, but I mean, good for you guys for, you know, just, just being creative and, and unique. And I mean, that's awesome. And, and so I love to hear that. And Amy, I, you know, I have a question for you, and it's more on the personal side, but I mean, what do you love most about your job? You've been there for a while now, clearly you like it, but what would you say when you wake up in the morning? What do you most look forward to working at LIS?
1: Well, we kind of, I just recently kind of had this conversation. As you know, the things that I'm really passionate about are the people, the client experience, uh, whether or not that's with LandVantage or outsourcing or, you know, interacting with them together. I love to work with our clients to, help them solve problems, but I really like the people internally that I work for. One of our things is we have to serve each other before we can serve our clients. And so that servant leadership is really important to me. So it's a lot of, it basically boils down to the people.
0: Yeah, no. And that's what it's all about. I mean, if you love the people you work with, it's fun to go to work and you know go to your home office and zoom with them mm-hmm. maybe nowadays,
1: but
0: <laughs> it sounds like you guys are at your office. So you guys get to see each other, but uh, Jim, what about you, man? What, what do you
2: love most about your job? a little bit of what amy said as far as just i'm i'm passionate about serving people and i i want to have a positive impact on them personally and professionally and we also every once in a while we try to do it on a weekly basis we we have kind of company-wide stand-ups or company-wide zoom or or teams Mm -hmm. meetings and and today we had one and we watched a short video about competing versus just working hard and so you know i'm I'm a very competitive person so I I want to come into the office every day and not only compete against our competition which is kind of a no-brainer but I want to compete internally and make sure that we're we're building LIS and Lane Vantage into something that's you know bigger and better than what it was yesterday or the week before so that's that's a big part of of what I look forward to every day is just it's just like Amy said, it's fun. Like, you know, I've only worked at Chesapeake and then now here at, at LIS. so I don't have a huge variety of, you know, having worked at different companies, but this is, it's, abs- it's meaningful. And I feel like our clients, the value that we deliver to them is very real. And, and when they see that and they appreciate that and, and, and they comment on that, it's, it's uh, very rewarding.
0: You make me want to fire a resume over to you guys.
1: <laughs> we are hiring,
0: right? There you go. I don't, I don't know if you need a dumb roughneck from Alberta, but if you do, you never know. My current employer is probably about to fire me here and that, but no, it's, But I, I say that to say, I, I love the answer and I'm glad it's, it's neat to hear people love their job. I have, you know, close family members that, you know, always say, Oh, I can't wait till Friday. And then Monday comes around. Ah, oh, it's Monday. But, I've never been like that. And and it's unfortunate that people have that mindset, but if you can wake up and say, thank goodness for today and just go to work and be happy and love what you do, love the people you work with, especially right now with so many people, you know, just not able to have that opportunity, but to provide some, you know, perspective and it's great to see. And like you said, there, there are companies hiring and it's getting that you know, word out there. And so it's cool to see where you guys are at. And so before we close out, I do have, you know, a couple other personal questions. I'd like to play with the, you know, play with my guests a little bit, but Amy, I'll start with you. You know, obviously working at a company of this size, you probably wear quite a few hats. You're busy. You said you had a husband. I don't know if you have kids, but you know, do you have any daily habits or routines that, that help contribute to your success and focus, you know, cause everyone gets kind of burnt out every once in a while, but like what, what really keeps you on track? Is it, What is it like morning meditation, morning coffee, you know, what, what, what do you do every day to kind of keep you dialed in?
1: Yeah, definitely my mornings. I try to, yeah, coffee, prayer, and just kind of reflect, you know, try to get some perspective on my calendar that's always overbooked. And so definitely my mornings, um, kind of keep me focused and going, um, Jim and I try to keep each other balanced a little bit.
0: Yeah. That's good. Yep. So uh, are you the type that if you win the morning, you win the rest of the day?
1: Usually. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, good, not, good. I can attest. Exciting. That's not always true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I know. I know. But if it's, it's more yeses than nos, then that's mm-hmm, good. But, absolutely. Uh, that That's cool. I'm a morning person too. I find like, if I have that, I was talking to one of my other salesmen last night, we were working on some stuff and we were talking about, you know, how we enjoy, you know, so I went to Denver last week for work. Visited some customers and had some business to do up there. And I love doing business travel, but I was so looking forward to getting home because I'm 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 not a routine person, but I I am when it's like the first couple hours of the day and the last couple hours of the day. Like that to me is like I'm I'm very routine and and like like that. But from about eight o'clock till five o'clock, like I don't want routine. I want to be able to do what I want, create value how I see fit. And so, yeah, I can, like the morning for me is so important. If I have like a weird morning or I wake up and something like off track happens, the whole day for me is thrown off. So I, I can totally see where you're coming from. Jim, what about you? What what kind of routines or habits have you
2: cultivated to contribute to your success? Kind of the same things. I used to not be a morning person until I realized that I really probably was more of a morning person than I wasn't. And so I'm one of those weirdos and I'm up at like 4.30 every morning quiet time, kind of like Amy said, you know, prayer, Bible study, but then some type of physical exercise, you know, some type of going outside or, or doing something to, you know, stimulate me physically and, you know, then head off to the day. And, and like you, it's, you know, between eight and five or whatever that time period is, you know, let's get after it and whatever we need to do. And there doesn't need to be a whole lot of structure. You know, it, it can be wherever and, and however, but when I get home, and this is something that, that Amy tries to help me balance and keep in check is when I get home, I want to be focused on my wife and kids, right? Mm -hmm. And we've got two young girls. So when I'm home, I try to be all in with, I try to be all in with wherever I'm at, whether that's at work or at home, the phone never you know, stops buzzing, of course. And so there's a period of time in the evenings where you, you know, Mm -hmm. after the kids go to bed or whatever, that you look at the phone a little bit, but the front end and the tail end of every day, you know, kind of has, has its consistency, but
0: yeah, you know, it's you brought up a good point. Is being present, and I feel like, you know, not just for us on this Zoom call, but like for everyone in society, being present and trying to disconnect from the phone, it's been a challenge. And I don't know what the future looks like with regards to like mental health and you know the amount of of attention you know our kids growing up are going to be able to have, or if they're just constantly going to be scattered. You know, we're trying to create structure within our household on you know the time in front of screens and, and all that. But how do you, I mean, how do you unplug? I mean, do you put your phone like away on vibrate or like, what's a trick that you've adopted to, because I mean, I, for me, I mean, especially in sales and drilling operations, I mean, you know, drilling is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. And so I I always felt for years I had to be connected to my phone. And now through experience and building relationships with customers, like they understand, like, okay, like, evening times, I have a wife and kids, like, they deserve my time just as much as you do, <laughs> like, if not more, and so I make a point of, like, putting my phone on vibrate, putting it in my my room away from, like, to where I can see it, and so I'm present with my kids, but, I mean, how have you, did you have a struggle
2: with that, or I'm always curious to hear people's perspectives. I struggled with that really bad for for a long time, and, and my wife and I talked about it, and, you know, she understood the the demand and kind of the responsibility at work and that, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, in, in our roles today, it doesn't just end at five o'clock when, when you leave the office. And so she understands that and appreciates that, but at the same time, so when I get home, kind of the same thing, I try to put the phone in an inconvenient place that's not within my my line of sight, you know, and we sit down we have dinner and, you know, get the kids ready for bed and all that. And then I'll go check in on it, you know, have a few dedicated windows where I I check and see if anything's come through that requires attention. But, but yeah, having it out out of sight, you know, for a little while is a big thing.
0: Yeah. Amy, what about you? What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. I mentioned my husband's in the oil field. He has a service company and so he's always on too. So I'm usually answering questions, you know, from, I have some staff that comes in, they start working at like five 30. So, you know, I'm always on and then, you know, <laughs> being responsive to clients and things through the evening try to be really responsible with that but i also set boundaries does this have to be answered today at eight o'clock i may be tuned in but it doesn't mean i have to respond
2: yes yeah
0: no that makes sense and being mindful of it and it sounds like both you're very you know mindful people and so yeah that's i appreciate you sharing that that's that's good well one last question before we close out it doesn't have to be long but Jim, you probably would have said the hockey thing, but now you got to think of something else. What's something about you that not many people know about? Do you have any, you know, any interesting hobbies or things that maybe some people don't know about
2: you? Golly, you should have started with Amy.
0: I know. Well, either <laughs> one of you, whoever, whoever, you know, you can hit the button. Whoever gets it, hits it first can, start, can say. And if you don't have any, that's
2: fine. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of joked around with everybody about this, but I mean, it's a little. So we've got a ping pong table up here at work. and we love to play every now and again, but my wife and I came up here the other weekend and she beat me in a couple of rounds of ping pong. And I'm a little sad to admit that. But, um, I am not. So I love fun. it. Yeah, she loves it. Yeah. So I guess that's maybe not something that everybody would know about me. Is maybe I'm not as good at ping pong as as I should be.
0: And that's the competitive side of you. You you're, you're, you had a little bit a little bit of spite with the wife because she beat you, man. Don't don't be that's right. Don't be sad. My wife beats me you know once every few years on a couple things. You know. But. <laughs> no, I, I get it, man. That's cool. I mean, good for you guys, Amy. What about you? You got any good hidden hobbies or any hidden secrets that, about yourself? You said you're a nerd. Grew up just, you know, sounds like you're all about work, but there's got to be something.
1: Yeah. no, I think the only other thing that I'm, I really am a caretaker by nature, but I love to cook. I love to feed people, whether or not that's like catering here, parties, but cooking is probably my biggest passion. I
0: I love love it. What kind of cooking? Because Oklahoma City- Everything?
1: everything? Okay. Mexican is probably my biggest. So I took a lot of cooking classes from- yeah, there was a, a caterer here that she actually, she went to culinary school and then worked under Rick Bayless in Chicago. And so, yeah. And so I could learn to cook all my Mexican stuff from her. And so that's probably one of my biggest passions. And that I is love- so
0: cool. Okay. So 20 years from now, land Information Services crushes it, whatever you're ready <laughs> to retire. Are you going to open a, like, would you, would you ever open a restaurant or do you just like, just internally being that for people, family, friends, type of thing.
1: Yeah. No, just just that. Just that. No, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, restaurant awesome. business is too hard. I don't blame <laughs> you.
0: I don't blame you. But I mean you never know. You might have been like, you know what? My real dream in life is to open a restaurant. I've been like, well let me know when you open it because I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well that's great. Well there's a few other things I want to mention before we close out. I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events.
3: Happy New Year everybody! It's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for January 2021. This month we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up we have our two in-person events the OCI East Houston Chapter Luncheon at the Monument Inn on the 5th, and the Houston Chapter Energy API Meeting at the Petroleum Club on the 14th. The only online event we have this month is the Prefab Connect from the 26th to the 29th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for January. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.
0: Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, like I mentioned, come join the Hack and White crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Amy, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation today. If people are interested to hear more about LIS or Land Vantage, what's the best way for people to reach out to you or to just get to know more about the company? And I can put the link in the show notes so you don't actually have to say it, but what's the best? Like
2: I think going to our website for sure. You yeah. got a lot of material on there. And there's an email that you can reach out, you know, to us that that hits Amy and myself and a few others. So definitely through the website's probably the best way. And we've got a YouTube channel as well that's got yeah. a lot of good content on it.
0: Awesome. Well, what I'll ask is either one of you send me all any links that you want me to put in the in the show notes. And then that way when we release the episode. It's easy for the listeners to access. They can just click the link. So any link you want me to put in there, let me know. I'll put your LinkedIn links in the show notes as well. That way, if people want to reach out to you individually we can do that and yeah with that being said it's been it's been awesome any closing last words for the audience
1: no just thank you for having us it was really fun
0: good well
2: i'm glad you guys couldn't make it this is a lot of fun justin thank you so much
0: yeah no i can't wait to come visit you guys hopefully soon and if you guys come down this way let me know and for the audience out there always remember when the density's up and the gas is down open the choke let's go to town thanks everybody Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.